Good morning and welcome once again. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Mark. Hold on a minute. I was fixing to tell you the wrong chapter. It's chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Just a couple of things uh, I need to make you aware of. Uh, First, we do have a trunk or treat coming up, so we need all the candy. I like all your candy. I was out of the office last week, so I don't know if any came in. Uh, if I'd been in the office, I would have known because I have the, the responsibility to, um, to taste test all the candy and make sure it's safe for the children. So um, I wasn't around last week, uh, so I, I can assure you that I will fulfill my duties once I get into the office this week to make sure that you guys bring safe um, and edible candies to the office. So uh, we do need all of that um, so uh, please help us with that. If you, if you would like to participate, we'd love for you to participate. You can sign up. Um, did we do an online sign-up for that? I think it's just in the hallway. But if you, if you don't know where that is, if you just call the church office, we can get you signed up. But it is just trunk or treat this year, so uh, we won't be doing a full fall festival. <clears throat> Second thing, we do have a Next Steps class this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So if you've been visiting with us for one Sunday or 10 Sundays and you're interested in what it might look like to be um, a part of Malvern Hill, we would love to have you. To with us here at Malvern Hill, um, we would love to have you. I'd love to have you in that meeting this afternoon at four o'clock. We will meet initially right out here in the sanctuary, and then we will figure out where we will go from here. That's just going to depend on how many of y'all show up. So I'd love to have you. Third, um, I, I may have been exposed to COVID over the weekend. We're still waiting on some test results to know for sure. It's one of those deals where we got a, there was a positive and a negative, and now we don't know what to believe. But uh, uh, as a result, and out of uh, just sort of an overabundance of caution. I won't be shaking any hands at the door this, this morning, so um, I've got my mask on, I'm, I'm vaccinated, I'm doing all the things that CDC tells me to do, uh, so I, I love you, but uh, I'll probably be out front if you'd like to speak to me, I'll be outside, but I, I just won't be doing that, and if I rebuffed your effort at a handshake this morning, it's not because I don't love you, it's because I'm just trying, we think we're fine, you know, but out of an overabundance of caution, I'm trying to do the right thing, so um, I do uh, appreciate your understanding. Uh, with all those things. And then at the end of service this morning, after I finished my sermon, during the invitation, actually, I've asked Pastor Buster if he would stand up and receive anybody that come down this morning, just so that uh, we can make sure that there's lots of comfort levels for anybody that needs somebody to pray with if you don't want me all up in your business. I totally understand that, okay? All right, having said all those things, thank you so much for being with us. We're going to be in the book of Mark. I'm in Matthew, so you'll give me just a moment because I turned to the wrong place. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read just these few verses. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. The him here is Jesus, okay? We began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear the words that you have given to us here in the book of Mark. Lord God, give us hearts to believe, Lord, and uh, minds to perceive in Christ's name. Amen. What will it take for you to change? Any of you ever kind of had one of those situations in life where you said, if this thing happens, then I'll, I'll finally change, you know? Uh, how many of you ever had that thing happen and, and you got to that and you still didn't change? Uh, my, my favorite, and I've, I've told this before, my, my favorite um, uh, 
um, conversation about change has to do with, with people who have had heart attacks and heart surgery. Everybody says, well, if something bad happened, I would change. And uh, doctors and nurses tell me that even after folks have had open heart surgery and, and, and major heart problems, they usually still don't change. They change for just a few months, and then shortly thereafter, they've gone right back to the same ways, sedentary lifestyles and bad, bad, um, bad diets. We, just, we are resistant to change. But I ask you this morning, what would it take for you to change? Now, if you've been with us for, for some time now, you know that we've been working our way through the Bible, beginning in Genesis all the way through, we will eventually make it all the way through Revelation. So each Sunday we've been preaching in a different place. Um, today we're in the book of Mark. Uh, last Sunday we're in Matthew. Uh, and, and, and here we find Jesus sort of in the middle of his ministry encountering a group of Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were one religious sect in the, among the Jews during this day and time. And, and the Pharisees were, were very self-righteous. Um, they, they were a, a ruling class of religious leaders. They had a lot of power and authority. And when Jesus encounters these folks, they're uninterested in changing their lives. I ask you this morning, what's it going to take for you to change? You say, well, I'm no Pharisee. I'm not like those who. Nah, you're probably not, truthfully. But what would it take for you to change? How many of you have, have just settled down into your own ways and you're just uninterested in change? And What's it look like to change? I want to walk you through three steps I think would be necessary for any of us before we're going to actually make significant change in our life. The first thing we need to do is to make sure that we search for solutions and not arguments. Solutions and not arguments. Maybe instead of arguments I should have said fights because some of you from maybe a more academic perspective would say that you know you like to make an argument from that kind of perspective but here I mean uh, an argument in in the sense of of the most normal vernacular word a fight a disagreement how many of you are willing to search for solutions rather than arguments listen do you love a good argument like if I'm just being honest I've told y'all before I do I like a fight. It's not, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not claiming it's a good thing, but I, do, I just enjoy it, okay? And I really like to win them, you understand? I don't actually lose them. I'm convinced of that in my own mind. Do you, but maybe you're like that. You say, well, I'm not like you, Craig. Maybe not. Do you like to get the last word? How many of you are that person, right? Everybody's done, and you're walking away, and you've got to get that parting shot. And it might just be something simple like, that's right, and you walk off. <laughs> Any of you ever been there? Any of you there this morning when you're getting ready for church? Maybe you love, maybe you're not the argument kind of person. Maybe you just love to get a pat on the back or credit for a job well done. You like it when people notice. You know, one of the most deflating things in the world for any husband in America is this, to empty the dishwasher and to not have anyone notice. I heard an amen over there. Isn't that right? Look. Guys, I mean, right, when you, when, when, you, when you come into that kitchen piled high with dirty dishes and you empty that dishwasher and you empty that sink and you finish and the counter's clean and you poke your chest out and people walk in and nobody notices, this is what we do. We go, well, that's why I don't do anything around this house. You storm on out. I don't. I've just heard some people do that. I had an older man in my former church who was a smoker. Now, a lot of people smoke. Not as many as used to, but a lot of people smoke. Not, but this guy was not just an occasional smoker. He was an avid, passionate smoker. Okay? He lit cigarettes one end off the other. Now, he loved to smoke. He knows smoking is unhealthy. Everyone who smokes knows that it's unhealthy. 
lot of us do a lot of things that we know are unhealthy and we do it anyway. But he was so bought in to his smoking. It was a part of his lifestyle. Part of who he was. And so he regularly brought up conversations about smoking and made arguments to support his habit. I'll never forget sitting at a Waffle House with him one morning. And um, there was two things that he loved to defend. Bill Clinton and his smoking. We didn't have a lot in common. Um, But he looks over and he says, people say these things are unhealthy. I said, well, Charles, they they are. Like, that's not just what people say. I mean, they're... They, 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 they cause cancer, right? That, that's just a reality. He goes, well, i tell you what, I'm not fat, am I? I was like, what in the, what are you doing? He said, well, I think that's more unhealthy for me than smoking. And so I'm just going to keep on smoking. I said, man, I don't even know. Like, what do you say to that? I had nothing. And then he goes, my doctor said it's better for me to smoke than to be overweight. I said, I don't think that's true. But maybe he found somebody on the internet. I don't know. Folks, are there areas in your life that you need to change? We all have them, right? Maybe you spend too much money. Maybe you eat too much of the wrong stuff. But rather than wrestle with the changes that you need to make, a lot of people, rather than wrestle with those changes, they just decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make an excuse. I'm going to demand an argument. I'm going to make an argument, demand a sign. How many of you ever had that doctor that came to you and said, you need to change this in your life? And you said... Well, you need to change that. Or, well, you know what I actually do? You said I need to quit smoking. Well, I'm not eating little Debbie cakes, am I? The Pharisees, rather than wrestle with the change that need to be made in their lives, they demanded a sign. The Pharisees did what a lot of people do in, in, in apologetic conversations. The Pharisees heard Jesus preaching. They heard Jesus warning people to repent of their sins. They listened to all that Jesus had to say. They had seen Jesus. They'd just seen Jesus feed 4,000 people. And they look at him and they go, We need a sign from you. The Pharisees tried to change the conversation rather than changing their lives. The Pharisees, rather than making changes in their lives, decided that they wanted to control the conversation. As they heard Jesus speak of repentance and change, they looked at Jesus and said, Why don't you prove who, that you are who you say you are? Give us a sign. Now, the Bible says that when they said that, that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Folks, this deep sigh in your spirit is, again, sort of G-rated biblical language for Jesus sort of groaning and grunting and moaning. This deep spiritual sigh is Jesus expressing his frustration, his, 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 his disgruntledness with these Pharisees. Parents, you've had this moment, haven't you? Where you didn't speak to your children. They didn't need to hear words come out of your mouth. They heard everything they needed to hear. Spouses, you've made this mistake by sighing deeply in your spirit when your spouse asked you to do something. And you said, well, I didn't say anything. And they said, well, you said everything when the nothing that you did say. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. He didn't have to say a whole lot at this point. This is Jesus going, <sighs> And in that sigh, we hear, what more could you possibly want? 
In that sigh, we hear the exhaustion of Jesus. In that sigh, we hear the frustration of Jesus. In that sigh, we hear the disappointment of Jesus. In that sigh, we hear Jesus saying, really? Because in that sigh, we understand that Jesus knew of the Pharisees more than they were willing to admit about themselves. Jesus understood that the Pharisees weren't looking for solutions. The Pharisees were looking for arguments. The Pharisees weren't looking to have their hearts changed. They were looking to have minds changed about who Jesus was. They tried to change the conversation. Let me ask you this question. What's keeping you from changing today? What's keeping you from changing today? Some of you have wandered in. Some of you have been visiting for a long time. You've never made a decision to trust Christ or join the church. And, and for some of you, you've been, you've been able to hold on to your arguments You've not actually sought solutions. You've been able to cling to those arguments. So you said things like, well, there's hypocrites in the church. or, You know what? I grew up with a bad home life, Pastor. Well, one time this pastor was unkind to me. What's keeping you from changing? Are they actually the issues? Or have you created issues so that you don't actually have to deal with the real issues? Are you a Christian? Do you trust Jesus? Well, if you do, what's keeping you from fully committing your life to Him in every single way? Are you not a believer? Have you come in here today and you said, you know what, maybe I'll be willing to trust if something would change. Maybe you are. You know, the Pharisees, the scariest thing about them is they were content to go to hell rather than to be wrong or to lose their power. How many of you are unwilling to just be wrong? To admit that you're wrong long enough to accept that Jesus is right. The gospel is offensive, and I'm not, I'm not blind to that reality. When you come in and I look at you and I say, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have created a situation where you do not inherit eternity with Christ, but instead because of your sin you deserve hell. I recognize that as I say that, that is offensive because I'm saying to you that you are wrong and only Jesus is right. But I ask you this morning, are you willing to admit that you are wrong if it means that you can be right with Jesus? The Pharisees would prefer to be right in their own eyes rather than to be made right with Christ. These aren't fun things to rest with, but they're realities. I ask you this morning, what will it take for you to change? The first thing is you've got to be willing to search for solutions and not arguments. Did you show up here this morning saying, Lord Jesus, I can't wait for you to show me something so that I can change? Or did you show up here today and say, Lord Jesus, if you want anything from me, you better show me something. You understand there's a difference right there? You give me this or else. Folks, I don't think Jesus is too concerned about our ultimatums. Search for solutions and not arguments. The second thing it's going to take for you to change is you need to draw a line in the sand. Now, I'm going to assume right here that my first, my first point caused you to at least consider that you should put aside your issues, your pride, your sin, and consider trusting Christ. If you're watching at home or you showed up here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to assume that at the very least what I've said to you has caused you to at least think, you know what, maybe if I'm honest, the reason I'm not a Christian doesn't have anything to do with all the other things that have happened to me in my life. The real issue is that I just don't want to be and I've used all those other things as excuses. And if that's where you are, let me just urge you, the second thing you've got to do is to draw a line in the sand, to, to, to draw that line. Let me urge you, if you're not ready to trust Christ today, to draw a line in the sand and decide what will cause you to trust Jesus. 
What would change that would cause you to say, okay, I, I think I could do that? What we know in this passage is that the Pharisees didn't draw a line for belief. They just wanted to test Jesus. You understand? It wasn't as though the Pharisees said, Jesus, if this happens, then we're going to follow you. They just said to test him, we need to see more signs. Give us a sign. Jesus, dance for us. Show us how great you really are. They did not have any intention of changing. Several months ago, back when COVID was near its worst, um, I, I spoke about this related to church attendance and COVID. And I'm just going to remind you of that so I can make another connection. Um, I, I, I said, draw a line in the sand. I understood then and I understand now that for some folks, some of you that are watching at home and some of you that came in maybe even today with a little bit of concern and trepidation, this, this idea about when you're going to come back and attend something face-to-face -face was scary. And so what I said was, hey, I understand that those are difficult decisions, but draw a line in the sand. Draw, draw a line and decide what is going to be the threshold for getting me back there. Right? And, and at that time, what I said was, if you're willing to eat in a restaurant, you can come to church. But what, what is the line for you? So back then, I said the line might be a, a certain degree or amount of community spread. And when it drops below a certain number, you would feel more comfortable. Or the line might be a, a, a treatment. Or the line might be vaccination opportunities. Whatever the line is, I said, decide what the line is. And then I said this, and tell somebody what your line is. So there's accountability. Because the problem is, if we don't decide, and then if we don't share that with somebody, our line keeps moving. You know, COVID did that for a lot of folks with church attendance. I've been really excited about the way our church has come back together. But for a lot of people, they went home for six months, and then six months became eight months, and eight months became 12 months, and 12 months has now become about, oh, what, 18 months. And they've not made it back into the church. I talked with a pastor the other day. He said, Craig, I've just had to come to the realization that I'm probably going to have to just pray that we rebuild a church with different people because a lot of folks just aren't coming back. And, and, and here's the reality. Most people haven't made this conscious decision to say, I'm not going back to church today. Most people just never drew a line. They got out of the habit. They got into doing things that they felt comfortable doing that didn't involve gathering with hundreds of people. So they went to the lake or, or they went here, they went there. They, they, they bought a boat so they could go to the lake. They did all those other things. They got comfortable watching it in their pajamas. And they said, well, I'll get back around to it tomorrow or next year or, 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 or next week or next month. Well, the next month comes. He goes, well, you know, this has come up and there's this. And, this. and they never actually drew it down, boom, line in the sand, poured some concrete in it to make it hardcore, and then went and said to somebody, when this happens, I'm going to be back. Without that, there just becomes this weird gray nebulous area where regular tenders are like, hey, I've, I've been missing you. And then because we didn't draw this hard line, they go, yeah, I'm, 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 I've been meaning to get back. We need to be concerned for our brothers and sisters who have not made it back into the church because the church is essential and it's important. But some of you make similar issues or arguments as it relates to your belief in Jesus Christ. You see, some of you are having similar questions and concerns as it relates to whether or not you would Follow Christ as a believer. I ask you this morning, would you draw a line in the sand? Some of you living in unbelief need to do that. You don't trust Jesus? 
What would need to change so that you would trust Jesus? Would you draw that line? Would you begin to get really honest? What information do you need to have? Some of you say, you know what, if I could, if I could find evidence that Jesus existed, then that would be it for me. Or if somebody could prove to me that the Bible is trustworthy, that would be sufficient for me. Well, if that's where you are, would you say that out loud? Like, do some business with your own heart. You know what, it turns out that for me, if I could be convinced that the Gospels were reliable, then I would believe it. Well, if that's the case, then, then, then say it. I would encourage you not just to say it. Write it down somewhere. Not in pencil, in like Sharpie on something big. And then tell somebody, especially somebody who might actually be able to provide you with that answer. Go to somebody and say, you know what? Call me. Craig, I, I heard your message. I've been thinking that if I could be convinced of the historical reliability of the Gospels, of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think that if I could be convinced of that, then I could believe that Jesus is everything that he claims to be in those books, and I would become a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's where you are, again, write it down. Call somebody and tell them. Say, you know what? I've been thinking, and this is what would shift for me. This is what would change. But also be honest, because here's, here's a, an unfortunate reality. For some of you, it's really not an information thing. See, when we begin to dig in hard and get honest with ourselves, we recognize that some folks are living in the same kind of unbelief as the Pharisees. See, it isn't a lack of information that kept the Pharisees from trusting Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, was literally standing in front of them. The Word made flesh was there. They had seen Him perform miracle after miracle after miracle, and they said, we need a sign from you, Jesus. The Pharisees wouldn't draw a line because there wasn't a line. Their, their unbelief wasn't rooted in a lack of information or access to information. Their unbelief was rooted in their desire to live in their own sin. Watch this. For some of you, your unbelief isn't rooted in your lack of information or access to information. Your unbelief is rooted in your desire to live in your sin. Your unbelief is rooted in your desire to live in your sin. See, you love your sin more than you're willing to love Jesus. Are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to be intellectually honest in that? In my office, I have a lot of books related to sexuality and, and the gospel message in the Bible. I, have, I don't even know how many I have. A lot of them. For those that take a pro-homosexuality perspective, the only ones that I actually respect are the ones that are willing to be intellectually honest. And those are the books that say this. They say, the Bible forbids homosexuality, but... I think that the Bible is wrong, and so I just don't agree with that position. Now, I disagree with them wholeheartedly, but I at least respect their intellectual integrity to say the Bible says this, and I reject it. In the South, where we are polite about everything, we are rarely willing to, 
to share that degree of intellectual honesty with anybody. Especially as it relates to things about the Bible. Some of you need to get real down and dirty with yourselves. And to find out, is there a line in the sand for you? That if you could have access to that information, then once you had it, you would repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But look, if there's not that line in the sand, you need to have the integrity to acknowledge. To say, I'm not a Christian, not because I don't have access to the information. I'm not a Christian not because I don't have access to people who could teach me the information. I'm not a Christian because I recognize that if I were to repent, if I were to come to Jesus, then I would have to walk away from a lifestyle that I love. And the truth is, I love my sin more than I love anything that Jesus has to offer for me. Those aren't fun or comfortable or easy things to say. But how long can you live a lie? What will it take for you to change? Search for solutions and not arguments. Draw a line in the sand. Or maybe we should have just changed that one to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And I would encourage you to be honest with the people who love you. Do you have a grandma, a sister, a spouse that's worked diligently through the years to share the gospel with you? And you continue to put out this false hope. You continue to make arguments. Are you willing to be honest enough to look at them and say, You know what? I'm not convinced that the gospel is wrong, but here's the reality. I like my sin. I love my lifestyle. And I'm unwilling to change. My friend loved his cigarettes. He knew that they were going to kill him, and they did. But he loved that more than what it was going to cost him to change. Let's be honest about our sin. Third this morning, don't wait until it's too late. Watch what happened. The Bible says Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Then Jesus said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then Jesus stood around and begged and pleaded with them to change their mind. No, the Bible gives us one of what I believe the saddest sentences in all the Scripture. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. The Bible says Jesus left. The Pharisees were unwilling to repent. They were so dug into their own sin, to their own sense of power and self-righteousness, that when the Son of God stared them in the face, they still refused to blink. They refused to bow. There is a sad, scary reality that the time may come when it is too late for you to trust Jesus. The time may come when it is too late for you to trust Jesus. Sin is good for a season. Seems good for a season, I should say. Sin is enjoyable for a season. And too many of us live in our sin with this thought, one day I'll change. One day I'll be different. But that day keeps getting pushed out further and further and further. 
Folks, you're seated in this room today. And here in this room, God has brought you so that you could hear this message, that God loves you in spite of your sin. Kevin pulls little video clips out of my sermons each week and puts them online. I absolutely hate them. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we, we think it's important to get things out as many ways as we can. I hate seeing myself on video. I, I, I sound like such a hick to myself when I do it. So, um, I, I, listen, I, I, I listen to my sermons. I'm so thankful to y'all that y'all show up and listen. I'm going to try and work on this accent. If I had one of those, like a Scottish accent, you imagine, right? Anyway, moving on. But he pulled out a clip the other day, and, and, and I, in, in that I just spoke so much about how much God loves you. Not because of what you've done, but in spite of what you've done. God loves you. God loves so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to save you from your sins. And in his love, he has brought you into this place where you can hear this message that God desires more for you than this world has to offer. That God desires to rescue you from your sin, your selfishness, your shame, your pain, your hurt, your self-righteousness. He desires to rescue from those things and Jesus died to deliver you. That's why God brought you here today. So that you could hear this message that if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, He will save you. But I believe he also brought you here to hear this. You will not always have this opportunity. You're not guaranteed another chance. I've never been much into scare tactics as a a pastor. But it doesn't have to be scary to be true. One thing that has made COVID and this whole pandemic so difficult for so many people has been to see 50-year-olds that were otherwise healthy to die. Somehow or other that became political. That's not political. That's just a reality. 50-year-olds that die unexpectedly. We're not promised tomorrow. But folks, even if you have 30 more years in this life, or 40 or 50, the day will still come when you breathe your last breath on this earth. While there is breath, there is hope. But when you leave this life, you either belong to Christ or you do not. The time will come when the opportunity for salvation will be no more. The Bible says that Jesus left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Jesus washed his hands and walked away. Because Jesus knew that the Pharisees were not looking for a sign so that they might believe. The Pharisees had made up their minds. They made them up at... What I like to call the pre-philosophical level. The worldview level. They made up their minds before Jesus ever appeared on the scene. They knew they were never going to change. We'll have one more fun COVID talk. 
I had, I had a buddy that uh, I talked with about, uh, he's, he's not getting the vaccine, that's fine. But uh, he said, I'm, I'm unconvinced by what I've read. I said, you are such a liar. He said, oh, I'm not. I said, you knew that when this started two years ago, it didn't matter what it was, you weren't going to take that vaccine. He started lying. He said, you're right. I knew I wasn't going to take it. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not doing it. We all have those things about something, don't we? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. If they tell me tomorrow that chocolate-covered peanuts are going to kill me, then I'm just going to die. You understand? There's not enough evidence on God's green earth to convince me that those things are really bad for me. Chocolate-covered M&Ms are a gift from God, and if you think otherwise, you've been fooled. We all have these things, okay? And I'll pick, on, I'll pick on the COVID thing, I'll pick on this, but here's the reality. Many people at their basic worldview, pre-philosophical, pre-political level, have decided above all else that they love their sin, and it's who they are. And just like my dear friend who was going to smoke his cigarettes and defend Bill Clinton until the day he died, it didn't matter what his doctor said, he could spin it around to benefit what he wanted because he wanted to do that. Well, some of you love your sin so much because your sin is who you are. You don't need arguments or evidences to bring you to Jesus. See, the reality is you've already decided that you're not coming. And when I come before you today is to pray, first of all, that there is a holy interaction from the Holy Spirit of God between me and you right now so that the Holy Spirit of God does something supernatural in your life and changes your heart. The second thing I come today is to ask you this. Would you be willing to look in the mirror of your own soul and to be totally honest? Craig, I'm not a Christian. But Craig, the reality is I I believe that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. I'm just unwilling to walk away from my sin. That's where you are today. I want to say this to you. You cannot wait forever. What will it take for you to change? Some of you are holding out this one shred of hope. That there's some sort of thing out there that if this switch gets flipped, then you would finally be convinced. Jesus shared a parable about a rich man and a man named Lazarus. The rich man died, and the Bible says he went to hell. And in the story that Jesus tells, the man was able to to see from there up into uh, Abraham and, and to see the riches of God's glory in heaven. And this rich man who had experienced so many good things in the world, this rich man who had, who had put down others, this rich man who had, had made Lazarus a servant at his table. This rich man looks up and he sees all the things that Lazarus, the poor man who loved the Lord, is experiencing in heaven. And he says, he says, if only somebody could come back from the dead and go and tell my family, then I know that their hearts would be changed. And in Jesus' telling of the parable, we are told this. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
Some people, some of you are so ingrained in your unbelief that even miracles wouldn't change your mind. Why? Because you didn't come in here interested in having your mind changed. What's it going to take? Are you living a lie, a false hope? Have you told people and even tried to convince yourself that the reason you don't follow Jesus is because it just doesn't make sense? Have you told people that you couldn't believe? What will it take for you to change? Would you be willing to search for solutions to your belief doubts rather than arguments? Would you be willing to search for solutions rather than to continue to make excuses for why you refuse to believe? If you're a Christian today, would you be willing to search for solutions rather than for arguments for why it is that you're not repenting of that pet sin in your life? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to draw a line? I should have said draw it in concrete instead of saying, shouldn't I? Something that's going to be there for a while. Write it in sharp. Are you willing to tell somebody? You know, if this thing were to change, if this piece of information were made available to me, and I think I could trust Jesus, are you willing to wrestle with the reality that you don't have forever? That you cannot wait until it is too late? Is the truth in your life actually that you don't believe? Or is the truth that you've got to wrestle with that you won't believe? Is it true that really you've been like the Pharisees? You've seen the Son of God. You've experienced the Son of God through His Word. But you love your sin more than you love Jesus. As we finish, I want to be real compassionate with you because I, I'm afraid that sometimes when I, when I preach like this, it can seem as though I, I have zero compassion. I just don't understand. Because here's, here's what I understand. Is that for many of you, to walk away from Christ is to... Or excuse me, I'm so sorry. For many of you, to walk away from your sin and to walk toward Christ is to walk away from everything that is comfortable and familiar in your life. To turn from your lifestyle is to lose friends, is to lose family, is to lose business connections. You see, to turn from your lifestyle may mean to lose everything in this world. But you gain Christ. Folks, I want you to know that if you lose everything in this world, but you have Jesus, you have enough. This world is passing away. Jesus offers salvation for all of eternity. But I also want you to hear 
that the value of the church, especially in an increasingly pagan culture, is that it is the church's responsibility and privilege to come alongside you as your family, as your friends, as your community, when your sin leaves you stranded. I'm asking you this morning to do something that is costly. Whether you are at home or you're in this sanctuary, I'm asking you to walk away from relationships, from communities, from contacts, from friends, from financial opportunities. But what I'm offering to you is this. Jesus, who will never leave you and never forsake you. Jesus, who will never cast you out. Jesus, who died to save you from your sin. Jesus Christ, who will hold you firm forevermore. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing. And Pastor Buster's going to stand right here. I promise he would love to pray with you. To show you what it looks like to trust Jesus. He'd love to introduce you to this Jesus who will never let you down and never walk away to a Savior who died to save you from your sin. Would you come today? Would you come and receive Christ and in Him find all the riches of heaven? Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would be at work in us, among us, around us, and through us. I pray that as we sing, they wouldn't just be words, Lord God. They would be infused with the Holy Spirit of God. That there would be somebody at home or somebody in this sanctuary who says, Lord Jesus, it's going to cost me everything, but I'm going to trust that you have more for me. Jesus, I pray they would find that you are enough. We trust and pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.